Over the past couple of weeks, we've been working through our new sermon series called Onto Holiness, uh, focused around the book of 1 Peter. This is a book that Peter has written to five churches who are spread throughout the region of Asia Minor around the Mediterranean Sea. And these are guys who, and girls who are experiencing persecution for their faith, for their faith and their hope that they have placed in Jesus Christ, the state is persecuting them, putting many of them to death. And, and Peter writes this letter to encourage them to stay the course. And he reminds them in the first chapter that they are serving a powerful God, that they are saved by a perfect saviour, and that they are in fact, despite their present circumstances, that they are in fact a privileged people. And as a result of all of this, Peter calls them and reminds them of the call that is already upon their lives to live lives of holiness, to be holy as the God whom they love and the God who has transformed their life is holy. And he calls them to fully place their hope in Christ. Last week, our sermon finished with Peter calling the people to develop spiritual cravings using the analogy of a baby who is a newborn baby who is craving milk. And if you've been around any newborn babies, you know when they're hungry, they cry out for their mom, they cry out for their dad, they cry out, and the only thing that seems to be able to soothe them is milk. And Peter calls the people here to crave spiritual milk, to crave the presence and the word of God. And Stephen read for us a little bit earlier on our passage, picking up in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. And Peter goes on, and we learn from that reading that in this section, Peter goes on to speak of three more things. He speaks of a spiritual house, which is the people of God. He speaks of the firm foundation, which is built upon Christ, the cornerstone. And then lastly, he speaks of the holy purpose that the people of God have as this spiritual house. And that's the order we're going to look at them, add them in this morning. And I just pray that the Lord will really minister to your heart. Let me just reread verses four and five for you as we come and we consider this spiritual house. It says this, it says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In these short verses, Peter speaks Firstly, of Christ, the living stone. And we learn three things about Christ from this short verse in verse 4. We learn that he has been rejected by men. We learn that he was chosen by God. And we learn that he is precious to God. These are all backed up by Scripture. And Peter is reminding the hearers and the readers of this letter 
that actually Jesus was rejected just as you are being rejected. Isaiah, the prophet, speaks of how Jesus was despised and rejected by men. And the hearers, the readers, Peter's audience here, they are experiencing that same rejection by men. He reminds them that God chose Jesus. It says in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that he was chosen for the task by God and that he is precious to God. Throughout the Gospels, we see a couple of instances where the heavens open and God speaks. God speaks from the cloud and he says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to what he says. Obey what he says. Jesus, this living stone, is rejected by men. He is chosen by God and he is precious to God. And this very same Jesus, who is the living stone, gives life. Two believers who then in turn become living stones through relationship with him. And just as Christ is the living stone in this spiritual house, the church, we as the people of God are living stones as well with a small s. Jesus, the living stone with a capital S and, Jesus, and us, the church, the living stones with a small s. And just as the people were rejected by men, just as they were chosen by God, just as they are precious to God, and we are precious to God just now, we learn in these verses, in verse 5, that the church, the people of God, that we belong to the Spirit. We belong to the Spirit, and we are the temple, the living stones put together, we are the temple wherein God may be found. I love to remind you, church, of that beautiful verse in the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1, where Paul reminds them in the church, and I believe reminds us today, that we are marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. Whenever we are in relationship with God, we are marked with the Spirit of God. We belong to God. And as these living stones are put together, as each one of us in our individual lives, as we are collectively come together as the people of God and become the church that he has called us to be, we become the temple wherein God dwells. That mark with the Holy Spirit means that God, by his Spirit, takes residence within us. In Old Testament theology, only a select few people had access to God in the temple. The Spirit of God dwelt within, deep within the tabernacle, deep within the temple, within the Holy of Holies that was restricted to one person per year. And if that one person was not ceremonially, uh, not ceremonially clean, if that one person was not pure of heart, if that one individual, the high priest, was not in right relationship with God 
as he entered into the presence of God, he would be struck down. Because God is holy. And God cannot be around those who are unholy. But we as living stones, collectively and individually, we become the temple wherein God dwells. Never let anybody tell you that there's nothing special about your church. Never let anybody speak you down because the creator of the cosmos, the creator of the universe, the creator of all things, the origin of love, of hope, and of the whole world, he dwells within you. He lives within you by the power of his Holy Spirit. So these people, the church, the living stones belong to the Spirit. We are the temple wherein, the, wherein God dwells, but we are also a holy priesthood. Do you remember when I was saying about the Holy of Holies and only the high priest could enter in? Well, we, as the people of God, are a holy priesthood. And this links us to Paul in his letter to the Romans in chapter 12 and verse 1, where he calls on the church in Rome to present themselves as living sacrifices, saying that this is our pleasing and acceptable worship to God. And believers, the church, you and me, us together, we are both the stones that build the temple, the new temple of God, but we are also the priest who offers sacrifice to God. I wonder if you've ever thought of it that way. That we are a royal, a holy priesthood. And we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to our God. Last week we considered how this call to holiness is indiscriminately inclusive. And it includes all of us. All of our being. Everything about us. And here, as, as the holy priesthood of God, we are called to offer our whole selves to him. And as we are that spiritual house, one of the things that we need to ensure is that we have a firm foundation. A firm foundation. And that takes us on to our second point. Because in verses 6 to 8, which we're going to reread in a wee moment, says... It tells us of the firm foundation that we find in Christ. One of my biggest regrets growing up was that I didn't pay enough attention to my father whenever he tried to show me how to do all those little odd jobs around the house. My dad's very skilled and one of the things that he is able to do is that he has been involved in and is able to build houses, which is amazing. And the most important thing about the structure of a house is that the foundations are right. This is deeply rooted and illustrated to us in scripture, not only in the verses that we're going to read, but do you also remember maybe from Sunday school, the story that Jesus told of the wise man who built his house upon the rock and the foolish man who built his house on the sandy land. That whenever the storm came, the man who built his house on the firm foundation of the rock, the house stood firm. But the foolish man who built his house on the sandy land, 
at the first sign of a gust of wind as the storm came, the house bang, wallop, flat out. And as the people of God, we need to ensure that our spiritual house, of which we are living stones and priests serving within, we need to ensure that it is built on a firm foundation. Verses 6 to 8 of chapter 2 says this. It says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. Here, Peter cites some Old Testament scripture from Isaiah chapter 28, from Psalm 118 verse 22, and Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 14. He points here to the fulfillment of these scriptures in Christ. He refers to Christ as the cornerstone. And the cornerstone is the foundation stone upon which the entire building finds support and rests upon for support. Anybody who knows me will definitely know I had to look that up. But here we see in these verses that when Christ is our foundation stone, when Christ is the cornerstone in our lives, and we love to sing that song, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. But when Christ is the foundation and the cornerstone of our lives, the scriptures promise that no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, no matter the hardship that we are having to endure at this time, no matter any of that, no matter, we will not be put to shame. I want you to turn to the person beside you and say, with Jesus, you will not be put to shame. These verses also encourage us to believe those who believe in him. And belief here is not a one-time thing. Belief here is something that springs us into action. Last week we considered the concept of quick, quick fix Christianity where we just pray a prayer and everything will be okay and we dispelled that myth on the authority of scripture. But here when belief is used in this passage, belief refers to true faith that is not a one-time profession, but is a persistent way of living. Have you ever met somebody who knows what they believe in? Somebody who is maybe fighting for a cause? Somebody who will not be silent? Somebody who will not budge until they get what they want or what they feel should happen. Belief in God, true faith is just like that. True faith is persistent. True faith refuses to budge. True faith says, no, you move. No, you move. And it's a choice that we make each and every day. Look, I know that many of us are really struggling 
during this lockdown period. I hope it brings you comfort today to know that I'm struggling with this whole lockdown situation. I'm struggling with the way that life is not the way that I feel that it should be. But I still choose to believe in the hope of the gospel. I still choose to believe that he holds the end of the story, that he still holds the whole world in his hands. And this belief that these verses speak of is one that is persistent and is one that we choose every day, even when we don't feel like it. And whenever we recognize and we realize that Christ is the foundation and we allow him to be the foundation of all that we believe the promise is there and it's worth repeating we will not be put to shame we will not be left abandoned we will not be left forgotten but we will be with him he will never leave us he will never forsake us. He will always walk by our side. But we've got to choose each and every day, each and every day, to worship him. He'll never force himself upon us. But we've got to choose to grant him and give him access in our lives. And when we do that, he not only transforms us from the inside out and sanctifies us by the power of his Holy Spirit, making us more and more like him, but he promises that we'll never, ever be put to shame. Many people struggle with verses 7 and 8. It says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. We're okay with that. But it says, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. Here, this double picture, this double image of Jesus as stone, as the living stone, as the cornerstone, but also as the stone that causes others to stumble. is something that causes real difficulty for some people. F.W. Bear says of this that the double image is necessary. And it's true. Christ is too great to be neglected or avoided. You see, as we put our hope and our trust and all of our belief each and every day into Christ, he becomes the cornerstone of our lives. He's the living stone in our life. But for those who do not, There's a different story. Jesus said in John chapter 15 that he was the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. And as a result of that, those who are not willing to accept him, on that day when Jesus returns again, he will cause them to stumble. They will not enter into the kingdom of heaven and we need to know today that just as he is our cornerstone that for many he is a stumbling block what I would say is this 
that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And we can come to the Father through him today. And we need to also recognize that God did not just arbitrarily decide beforehand that certain people, um, certain individuals would be lost forever, uh, but rather it is our own decisions that determine our destiny. If we accept Christ, we are found in him. He will not be a stumbling block to us. We will be given his righteousness. It's not our own righteousness. But if we choose to reject him, persistent rejection and disobedience to Christ sadly brings destruction. And it brings with it a lost eternity in hell. So I want to encourage you, friends. Do you know the Lord? Do you know the cornerstone? Is Christ the cornerstone, the firm foundation of your life today? And I will guarantee you today that if he is, that your life will never, ever be the same again. For he is altogether wonderful, altogether lovely. And he is sufficient. He is more than enough. And he is the only way for eternal life. So just as we are a spiritual house, and we need to be built upon a firm foundation, in verses 9 to 10, our our final point is this, that Peter reveals to the people their holy purpose. And let's read verses 9 to 10 together. It says, But you are a chosen race, a holy, sorry, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here, Peter attributes four descriptions to the people um, to whom he is writing that has previously been attributed to Israel as the people of God in the Old Testament. Um, These references can be found in Exodus chapter 19 and in Isaiah chapter 43. There's four of them, as we've said. He calls them a chosen people. And here, Christ constitutes them collectively. That's you and me. That's the readers here. That anybody who is finding Christ, Christ binds us together as the people of God. Just as Israel, the people of Israel, trace their lineage and trace their identity through Abraham, who was the father of all nations, you and me, the church of Jesus Christ, those who have trusted in him for the salvation of their souls and life everlasting, we are a new people who trace our identity through Christ. We are a chosen people because of all that Christ has done for us and as we accept him as Lord and Savior of our lives we are aligned with him and God calls us his chosen people just as Jesus was chosen 
by God. He also refers to us here as a royal priesthood. As a priesthood, we possess the special privileges of priests. And not priests in a Northern Irish Roman Catholic sense, but priests as people who serve God. And we get to enjoy a unique closeness to God as we perform our holy service in his honour on behalf of other people. Our great commission in Matthew 28, and we looked at this on Easter Sunday, is to go and make disciples. And as we go and make disciples, as we walk with Christ, as we walk with God, there is a unique closeness to God the Father. Relationship with him as we are being molded more and more into the likeness of Jesus the King. And we are royal here. We are given a title of royal because we are sons and daughters of the King. We are sons and daughters of God Most High. And as sons and daughters who find their identity in Christ, we are God's holy, royal people. A royal priesthood. Calls them a holy nation. Because of this identity that is found in Christ as the chosen people of God, Jesus Christ has made us all one nation. That means that despite our different ethnic and geographical roots, that we are one big family. I love being part of a global church. I love being part of something that is so much bigger than our congregation here in East Belfast. And growing up, there were many people, and many ladies in particular, on our district. One of them, by the name of many of you will know, Helen Williamson, who said that the sun never sets on the church of the Nazarene. That is because we are one family of God. One family. And that's only one branch of the family. We are the people of God, alongside all of the other denominations, beside, beside all the other non-denominations, anybody who claims Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives and lives lives of holiness, we are family. We're family. Doesn't matter if you're from the east, east, west, south, north, wherever, to the very ends of the earth. We are family, and we find our identity in Jesus Christ. Francis Chan, one of my favorite um, teachers, preachers, and Christian authors, wrote this. He says, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you, the Bible says that you are a necessary part of the church, and that your church is actually hurting if you are not doing your part. We are one nation, we are one church, a holy nation under God, but we are each given responsibility to serve God within our local church. The local church of which you are a part, you need to know that you have your part to play within it, to bring hope to our communities. And our community here in East Belfast needs hope at this time. So let us be the church.
that God has called us to be. And let us live as that holy nation that we are. And we are also God's own possession. One translation puts it that we are God's special possession. I love that. I love that. Don't know if you've ever watched Lord of the Rings. There's a really strange character called Gollum or Smeagol. He struggles with schizophrenia um, in the film, which really comes out and comes to the fore. But he finds the one true ring, a ring just like this. And he calls it his precious. And he obsesses over this ring. And he'll do anything to ensure that this ring is kept safe. Our God is not Gollum. Our God is not Smeagol. But you're precious to God. The scriptures say that he's jealous for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. That you're the apple of his eye. And that he loves you more than you will ever know. He wants no harm to befall you. He wants to do all that he can to ensure that you are safe. That you know that you are loved and that you are valued. And whilst as the people of God, whilst as an individual who follows Jesus in your life, Whilst the world might look upon you as exiles, whilst the world might look upon us as strange, whilst the world might look at us like we have a a few screws loose in our heads, you need to know that God considers you his special possession, his own possession, that he loves you and that he is obsessed with you, that he loves you with an everlasting love. And as we're called to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, as we are God's special possession, we can pay witness to God's deliverance from sin by proclaiming his word and by living lives of holiness in our lives. That is our purpose today. Our purpose is to proclaim the word of God to tell others of the truth that is found in Jesus our King. Maybe you struggle today seeing yourself as anything special. Maybe you have begun to believe the words that other people have perhaps spoken over you during your life. Today, the word of God tells you that you're a part of a spiritual house, that you're part of a chosen people, that you are part of a royal priesthood, that you're part of a holy nation. It tells you that you're God's special possession. And maybe you struggle with that. You need to know, church that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've said or even what you've thought. That when we come to Jesus, our sins are thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. And we become a special people 
who receive the mercy that, quite frankly, we probably don't deserve. But mercy that is made available through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So, church, it's my prayer for you that we would, in fact, be the spiritual house that God has called us to be, that we would all play our part in that, that we would ensure that our lives are built upon the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, and that we would live out our holy purpose of proclaiming the goodness of God to those whom he has placed in our lives, and that we would live in the reality that we are, in fact, a special people, that you are God's own possession, and that each day we would come before God when we get up in the morning, that we would thank him for all that he has done, and that we would tie our colors to the mask, and we would say, today I choose to believe, today I choose to worship. Let's sing in response to the goodness of God in these days.